Hello and welcome to Paramedicine.com. Translating research into practice. My name is Mark Kolbeck and we're broadcasting to you from the Australian Catholic University uh, Sound Studio. I'm here with... Sonia Maria. And we're going to be doing our first introductory show about us and uh, introducing ourselves and a little bit about what we hope to be doing with the show. So, Sonia, why don't you start and let people know who you are, just sort of give your CV, and then I'll give mine, and then we can tell our stories. My resume. Resume. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, So, Mark, I started in ACT. I was actually, I did a... um, Lots of different roles before I became a paramedic, like many people. I sort of jumped around in different careers. I was vet nursing and did some temporary work for an accountant and then eventually... For an accountant? Yes, I, I was. It's a bit of a variety. Torbenschlag in accountants. Oh, okay. Yes, I, I learned how to do all t- tax returns and things like that. Anyway, after that, I um, I actually started off volunteering with St. John Ambulance doing, you know, like club events, motocross racing, and I learned all about first aid volunteering. And I did that for about three years. And meanwhile, saw these ambulance, the, you know, the ambulance crews driving around and thought, I want to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. want to do that one day, you know, and I got really excited, so... I started looking at, you know, how the job worked and I actually uh, I actually wrote a list of the things I had to do that I thought that I needed to, to do to become a paramedic. Okay. And on that list I had um, get my motorbike license because I thought I had to be a bit more daring. <laughs> get your helicopter license. <laughs> I did. I had, I had a parachute. Get, a, get my um, advanced first aid certificate and all of these little things. And it was really funny because um, – I started jumping steps along the way, you know, and then eventually when the application time came up, I applied along with, you know, hundreds of other people. And this was where? This is an ACT ambulance. ACT. Okay. So that's Australian Capital Territory, which is the capital sort of state. It's not a state. It's territory in Australia. Yeah. And Canberra. Yeah. So, um, and at the time we were only a small service, quite boutique. And it was really. It still is a smaller. It's triple the size since I was there. Okay. Yeah. But it was really hard to get into, like it is these days, just as hard, I would say, equally as hard. And they only took five of us, and I would say that several hundred people oh, applied. Okay. There was about nine different steps. It just went on forever, everything from, um, you know, delivering a speech in front of people, an interview, driving tests. I had to write an essay about why it was better to rent a house than buy a house. <laughs> I think it was like three different topics. That was the one relevant. I chose. Yeah, no. <laughs> now that you got a real job. <laughs> I think they just wanted to check that I could write. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so I did all that. Got into ACT Ambulance and I stayed with those guys. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. And, so when was that? When did you start working? Um, in 99, I think it was. 99. And I stayed there, I think it was 2005 that I left, so around, oh, wow. around that 2004, 2005. Okay. Went to Queensland. Here, and, where we are now. Yes, yeah. yeah, actually um, started working for Queensland Ambulance Service. And myself and my housemate, Jason, were one of the first um, groups of ICPs to try and translate uh, our practice from ACT to Queensland. Okay. So we had to jump whole heap of hoops um, to get back up to ICP level. It was never it was never easy back then if you wanted to go interstate right. like and transfer your skills. Registration's going to change. Yeah. All of that. It is. It's a whole it was really difficult. Yeah. And, you know, and also 
you don't realize what you don't know until yeah. you move somewhere else. Yeah. You know, yeah. I remember being tested on like tricyclic overdose and I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I learned that. I'm sure they probably talk, but you know, wherever you work, there's always, they emphasize certain things and, yeah. you, and you get really ingrained into certain types oh, yeah. of practice, you know? So, you know, I was surprised when I came down here because in Toronto, I had never heard of autonomic dysreflexia. No. But, Every state has it here. Yeah. And I'm wondering how many block catheters exist in Australia? <laughs> Lots. This is, Apparently. <laughs> this is like a CPG for every state. Yeah. I mean, I've never heard of it in anywhere in Canada or in the Middle East. We never really talked about it. We didn't have that either growing up. Like, yeah. I don't think that it became a, a medical emergency per se because we didn't really know probably about it. I wonder where that came from. I've got no idea. You know, like I think it would make more sense. Maybe one of the medical directors had a block catheter, and then the next year they went, "Let's put that in." You know, we had that in Toronto. One of our medical directors, tragically, I shouldn't laugh about it, but tragically, uh, he was shoveling snow off of his roof, as as you do, as Australians say, because otherwise you get too much weight and collapses. And he fell off his roof, Mm. and he really injured his back. And the paramedic Mm. showed up. He was like, "Give me all the morphine," and they were like. We don't have orders for that much morphine. It was like, I'm giving them to you. <laughs> Patch to me. Give me, give me the morphine. And then after that, we just had these amazing protocols for pain. Funny you should say that. Yeah. I think the same thing happened in New Zealand. Oh, yeah, really? With um, the medical director having a heart attack. And I think oh, something really? similar happened oh, for ACS after that. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I think exactly the same thing. Wow. Things changed. That's where I went after I left Queensland. Okay, so you were in Queensland and then you went to... Yeah, so I was working for Queensland Ambulance Service. I didn't stay there for very long at all, just enough to sort of find my way around, you know, Brisbane, really. Mm. We worked in a... Um, and the, the service there is really interesting, like a massive service. service compl- here. It was a huge... Yeah, here. <laughs> big culture shock going from ACT to Brisbane. Okay. And working in like a... Um, I worked in a little pod in Nathan and... Um, you know, you work in a rapid response vehicle and then you jump into a, a two truck. ICP oh, right, yeah, truck. yeah, yeah. So it was very ICP focusy kind of role. Yeah. yeah. It was really interesting. It was, it was great, really professional and really like kicked up that next level. From there, applied to go to New Zealand and got a job complete opposite again in on the East Cape in Gisborne, which is this um, small town on the coast. Um, very cultural, Maori cultural. I loved it. We absolutely loved it. Took the whole family. My partner also works as an Ambo, so we so both got jobs switch, there. Why from Queensland off to another country in New Zealand? I don't know. <laughs> it was kind of spur of the moment. I was dreaming. We were both um, a bit over big city services right? and wanted a change yeah. and wanted something different. The kids were young, wanted to put them through something different as well. New Zealand's really nice. Yeah, it was yeah. lovely. Yeah, it's a beautiful country. Absolutely loved it. Nothing venomous? No. That appeals to me. And, you know, if you want to um, work on helicopters and you want to career opportunities, it's a great service. They're very family-orientated and they look after their people and, you know, they have not just the ambulance service but they have all the, these different types of roles that mm. they do for the community. So everything from lifelink alarms you know, to education and training and oh, that's cool. yeah, public sure. first aid training. You know, they do everything. So I, I liked that about them. How did you hear about it? I don't know if you were sitting in Brisbane. 
my partner, Lyle, he found the ads and he basically convinced us all to go. Yeah. So, yeah, we just basically went, okay. Thanks, Lyle. Yeah. Thanks, Lyle. Yeah, so we we did that and we moved in a few different roles and places in New Zealand. So I started in Gisborne, went to Taupo or Taupo as the locals pronounce it, worked on the helicopter there as well, did a lot of retrieval into the snow Tapo has the largest lake, I think, in the Southern Hemisphere, and we did a lot of interesting um, water work as well as snow work. So oh, it was wow. really so interesting. So were you like winching and everything? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. We had, cool. We, we That's actually, the dream, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. Every student paramedic is like, oh, I'm here because I want to work in a helicopter. Yeah. Like you and it's is. all fun until you're on the end of a long line swinging through trees thinking, I wish you'd just go slower because your face is being pulled back like this. And then and then you lose your sunnies and it's like. <laughs> and they're just big noisy tractors really they that are. fly. Yeah. Like, it's pretty uncomfortable getting rattled around in a helicopter. And the, the helicopter work that I did was really extreme. Like we had to, um, because we were going up a mountain to do retrievals, yeah. we had to use a certain type of helicopter. It was light and really small. Right. Not like oh, the beautiful nice. ones that they the use. Not, yeah, yeah, not like the great, you know, city-to-city retrieval work that right. they do in some of the places here. Ours were like rough and ready, small, get in there. and, and Single <laughs> engine or double engine? Yeah, um, squirrel, one of the squirrels, I think, it was a single engine. And it had to be light. So what we Squirrel used, doesn't sound like a big helicopter. It was, yeah, I know. It was. <laughs> so <laughs> we, we used to quite often stop at the bottom of the mountain take out all of the seats except for the pilot, all of the extra gear that oh, we wow. didn't need so we could be light enough to fly up to the to top. Altitude. Yeah, to altitude to be able to pick up our patients. Wow. And they would be in like, because it was an active volcano <laughs> mountain, right? right? <laughs> I know. This is the way. It was cool work. Sonia and the volcano. Yeah, that we would have to like, um, we'd do hot lifts, you know, so that the helicopter would hover. Oh, it wouldn't actually land. No, it wouldn't land because, you know, you'd be on like the mountain and like yeah, you'd have to like, like jump out, you know, and someone would be like stuck in like some little crater somewhere and you'd be like hiking through that, like oh, picking wow. them out, out of these bizarre little. Um, Why are they hiking on a light there's a Tongariro Crossing. There's this famous. It's like um, a hiking track. Yeah. And you know, people would you know, just their last wish to you know hike the Tongariro Crossing kind of thing. So we would go and pull them out. <laughs> oh, they yeah, literally sometimes pull them out. Oh wow. And then you know, long line them if they were in weird places, and mm. you'd be you know you'd have them on these you know on the stokes. I don't know if you baskets, know. Yeah, yeah, the baskets. Yeah, and you'd be going up and you'd be long lining and swinging on the base of it and and you'd have Ooh. to go like that to the bottom of the mountain yeah and then put all the seats back in put everything back together so then you could get taken to hospital oh wow yeah it was interesting work that's involved yeah it was yeah oh, it, was, wow. it was kind of next level <laughs> after that um i ended up in education with taupo i ended up moving into an education role and then with from, the service with the yeah with, service. with st john okay and I still worked 30% on the road because everyone in education still is clinical. Okay, so would that be Wellington Free Ambulance or no, was it the St. John? Yeah, St. Okay. John. Yeah, yeah, that's the more national. Right? Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, they actually became a amalgamated organization while I was there. They had little pockets of St. John and different, okay. and the whole thing ended up amalgamating. So I ended up transferring from there to Christchurch, getting a South Island role okay. in education, and then from there ended up, um, getting a North and South Island role, a national manager role from that. Oh, wow. Okay. And then from there to CSU. 
Charleston and University. From there we met. That's right. Yes. That's right. So sorry, that was a bit convoluted. No, that it? wasn't. No, that was good. So mm. in Australia, they have sort of the entry-level paramedic, which is usually called advanced care paramedic. Mm -hmm. And then depending on the state, the next level of paramedic, after you've worked for a few years, you do some more training. Some states call it in Victoria, it's MICA, Mobile Intensive Care mm -hmm. Units. Up in Queensland now, it's critical care paramedic. And in some of the other states, it's intensive care paramedic. Mm -hmm. So you worked at the intensive care paramedic, MICA, right. uh, CCP. Right. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. And then we, in ACT, I started as an ICP too. That's right, because they used to always be ICP, That's right. right? There yeah. was nothing else. No. So we were the yeah. only service in Australia that you trained straight to an ICP level. Wow. Yeah. They don't do that anymore. No. No, no they don't. That's yeah. a big jump. Huge jump. Yeah. But very well supported and you have a lot of mentoring. You're working with an ICP from day one. Yeah. So I think that that's the that difference. Helps. Yeah, you you've know? got someone showing you. Constantly. Someone who actually knows the drugs and yeah. the CBGs. Well, then that's it. 24-7 working with an ICP of the person that you're going to become. Right. I think really makes a difference. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Mentoring is everything. Yeah. So now you're at Charles Street University. I am. In New South Wales? Yes, so we're in Bathurst, which is about three hours west of Sydney. Okay. Yeah, Blue Mountains country, that area, just over the hump. That's, I've heard that's really gorgeous. That's beautiful. Yeah. Mm. Okay, okay, so, so how me. about we move on to you? Okay, so um, I'm obviously not from Australia. Really? Tell, by the haircut. Yeah, <laughs> I know. So Canadian originally, born and bred in Toronto, Ontario, and Canada. Can you speak French? We are petit peu. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm actually legally French because my f father is French, so I'm not French-Canadian. I'm French and I'm Canadian. Oh. I've got two passports. That's handy. Yeah, in different names, which yeah. gets a bit... Oh. Yeah. Because in France, you're not allowed to change your name. And when I got married, I married Helen Cole, and my name was Becker, and so we changed it to Colebeck. No way! Yeah. And I... I you know, they change in Canada when you change your name, like when you get married, they change your birth certificate, they change your, they change your birth certificate. What? Your driver's license, How everything change gets changed. Birth certificate? It's, they make them, so they just give you a new one. Wow. Yeah, and so everything now is callback. My kids are callback. Yeah. And um, in France, I remember I called them up and I said, I've changed my name to callback. And they basically said, well, we don't do that. And I said, well, <laughs> I, you know, like I've changed it. And my name is now legally callback. And they said... I'm sorry, Monsieur Becker, but not in France. <laughs> so your passport is still Becker. So my passport in France is Becker, and my passport in Canada is Colbert. That's really yeah. interesting. Yeah, I'm sort of collecting passports. I'm trying to make up a new name for my yeah. Australian passport. Jason Bourne. Yeah, something like that. That would be better to give away. <laughs> Born Becker. Born Becker, Colbert. Yeah, yeah. So anyway... Um, yeah, born and bred in Toronto, and um, when I was in high school, I was on the swim team. My dad had been a lifeguard, and I thought that would be a great job because we're right on Lake Ontario, and there are beaches. They're open like two months a year, and <laughs> it's like it gets to 23 degrees or something. We're like, Oof. you hit 30 degrees in Toronto, and it's a heat emergency. <laughs> Seriously, 30 degrees Celsius. So um, I became a lifeguard, and I really enjoyed the course. I thought it was so cool. And the guy who was teaching the lifeguarding course uh, had a friend who was uh, what we used to call an ambulance attendant with Toronto Ambulance. They actually called them EMCAs, Emergency Medical Care Assistants, I think. Mm -hmm. And um, I just thought it was the neatest thing. And I remember him coming in and showing us how to do a proper head-to-toe exam. Oh. And he started talking about capillary refill. Wow. And I thought, that is so sophisticated. That's like... <laughs> 
you know, that's like anesthetists. They do that sort of stuff. That's even beyond emergency. And I just, I was so fascinated by it. And then I became a first aid instructor and just sort of, you know, was in that community of people involved in that stuff. And one of the people becoming a first aid instructor at the same time as me was a guy by the name of Darren Bremner. And Darren said to me, if you want, you could ride out on an ambulance with us. I was like, oh, my God. How cool would that be? I did a ride. Did you do a ride along? I did. I did a ride along, too. Yeah. yeah before yeah, you yeah. became a yes, paramedic. I did. They hardly do it anymore. Yeah. It's like, no, we don't let anyone else in the ambulance. But yeah. if I hadn't have done that, I wouldn't be here today. Mm. That was just an amazing uh, an amazing experience to just mm-hmm. go out and drive lights and sirens. I did CPR. Mm. It's like on a, on a real person. It was wow. just like... Wow, amazing stuff. So mm. I got interested in it. And um, at that time, to become in Canada, well, back then it was an MCA. To become an MCA was a one-year course. And uh, you did one semester of anatomy and physiology. We did a, a unit on how to fix the ambulance engine because we were still drivers. So, yeah, it was all about own internal combustion and engine works. We did about as much of that as we did anatomy and physiology. <laughs> so we did that for a semester, and then we wrote out for a semester with Toronto Ambulance's students. Yeah. So we had, like, six months, four or five months uh, experience on the road as students before mm-hmm. we got hired. And then, luckily, I got hired. Uh, there was a huge intake the year I graduated, and they basically hired everybody, which was really lucky. Mm-hmm. And then I worked as um, what we would now call in Canada primary care paramedic, mm-hmm. entry level paramedic. But back then, we had nothing. That like was we, pretty. That was standard, wasn't it? We had oxygen. We yeah. didn't even have a AED. They didn't exist. Yeah. This was 1990. I yeah. got hired in June 90 or Toronto. It's scary to think that it's only you know that's actually not that long ago. No, it's not. <laughs> Well, the funny thing is my wife or ex-wife, at that time, girlfriend, later fiance sort of thing, she was working in a Montessori classroom as a teaching assistant, mm-hmm. and she could give adrenaline, and she could give Ventolin. So she had more skills than she me. She had more skills than me, and I was working on Toronto Ambulance. Wow. You know, it was like amazing. It's yeah. changed completely now. Yeah. Like completely. But back then, we used to joke that our treatment protocol was Bob, bed yeah. oxygen blanket. Yeah. So I got in and I worked at that level for four years and you had to have worked for three years before you could apply for the next level up, mm-hmm. which we, uh, back then we used to call them BLS and ALS, basic mm-hmm. life support, advanced life support. Now it's primary care paramedic and advanced care paramedic. Mm-hmm. So, um, I applied for the advanced care paramedic, about 250 people applied for the 12 spots. I was number seven, which mm-hmm. was just Mm-hmm. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the 12 of us went through, and three of us didn't pass, so six of us passed at the time. And when I graduated, um, subsequent to my graduation, they introduced an intermediate care paramedic. So I was, mm-hmm. for people from Toronto, I was the last of BLS to ALS, which yeah. was sort of a big period of our history. Um, and then when I graduated, I think there was about 40 or 50 mm-hmm. uh, ALS medics. Mm-hmm. And uh, we worked on response cars, and yeah. you know we we had our own units, and we floated above the car count. Yeah. So every call was attended first by um, BLS, yeah. and if they needed ALS, they'd call us. Yeah. So we, did, I mean, I did five cardiac arrests in that shift. Mm. I remember that. I remember going home with you know, nitro in my pocket. Mm-hmm. Just such a different time. Queensland was like that when I first got here. You were above the car count. Yeah, so yeah. The, the, the Nathan pod was very similar, used in the same way. So you'd be, I would float, be floating Morningside and, and I, I was doing 
everywhere floating around in a response car, basically yeah. backing up crews. For, it's an amazing experience. Yeah, it was. The thing now that I found it a little bit frustrating though, because I remember one shift I did, I'd been, I was up to job 15. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. they would quite often cancel you. Like you'd be, yeah, yeah. You'd be just yeah. around the corner and then get on the radio. Cancel yeah, cancel, and you'd be like, ah. and I'd be like, no, I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to finally get to a job this year. I'm here shoot. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I know what you mean exactly. Yeah. Uh, it was an interesting experience, though. Yeah. Floating around, seeing a lot of patients like that, a lot of really sick patients. Yeah. It really got your chops up. Yeah. You know, it's it like, did. like the residents living in a hospital. You just keep seeing patient after patient. After yeah. Patient. I would say that one of my biggest learning curves was the jump to Queensland and then the jump to St. John in New Zealand because yeah. the cultural change is just such a shift, you know, in that whole, you're mentally moving to that next level because it, especially when you're backing up crews constantly, yeah, because you feel like you're uh, clinically justifying your care and your role when you yeah. arrive on the scene. Yeah. You know, and there's so, something about putting you in that position where people come in and give a report to you that suddenly makes you feel more confident, even if you're not very good. Yeah. It's like, well, I've got the epaulets that say I'm good. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I need to be now. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's this jump up. Yeah. Yeah. So I worked four years at the BLS level, went through, made it through this intensive, horrific sort of ALS course, mm. and started working as um, an advanced life support paramedic. Did that for four years. And then we started a new program in Toronto called Critical Care Paramedic, which mm -hmm. in Australia you would call a retrievalist practitioner. So yeah. interfacility critical care transport. Yeah. Instead of doing 911 calls or triple zero calls, we'd go to hospitals and take people out of the hospital and bring them to a higher level hospital. Mm. And we did that for five weeks, and then one week we'd go back and do normal, normal calls just yeah. to keep our skills up with that. And that was really cool, mm. and that was really groundbreaking. We went from carrying, I think, 30 drugs to carrying about 80. Well, we started RSI, rapid sequence intubation. We started... Uh, we had our own intraaric balloon pump. Wow. Like it was just crazy because there was one hospital that was doing um, PCIs, yeah. but if you wanted to do PCI under the laws of the land, you had to have emergency um, full cardiology yeah. backup. Yeah. So if they got in trouble, their backup was us, and we would go and put them on our intraaric balloon pump and take mm. them to a higher cardiac center. Yeah. So that they could do PCI in that. So, so it was just wild what we were doing. And mm. when we started, we were doing only adults. And we trained with the sick kids hospital and started doing kids. And it was just, mm. I mean, the scope of practice was just mm. was insane. <laughs> you know, trying to keep up with it was just It's interesting because I don't know if we have. Well, actually, um, we do. In a lot of places, they'll have a paramedic and a doctor together on a, on a helicopter right. doing similar type roles between intra-hospital transfers. Right. But as far as that's the Hems model, that yeah, our, uh, exactly, doctor. yeah. yeah. And, but um, on the ground, as far as great ground crews go, I don't know many services that use paramedics. So almost all teams of nurses and doctors and educators. Yeah. Well, there's an interesting history in Ontario because we um, we had very aggressive medical directors, not assertive, mm. forward-thinking medical directors out of Sunnybrook Base <laughs> Hospital in Toronto, and the SARS crisis hit in the early 2000s and um we were in a panic i mean people were dying it was just crazy and healthcare people were dying and transferring people between hospitals was you know fraught with hazard mm. so our medical directors went to the government and said we've got it 
Yeah. We'll cover all intra-hospital transfers. And now there's a provincial organization called Orange, O-R-N-G-E, which is all critical care paramedics, mm -hmm. or mostly critical care flight paramedics. Uh, they do air and land, and we do all the transfers between all hospitals, and they're all paramedic paramedic. There are no doctors riding with us. Yeah. We work closely with the doctors, and they call the hospitals, and then they call yeah. us, and we do like a three-way patch to find out what's going on. But the Ontario level is what we call down here, all retrievalist practitioners. Yeah. And as a Canadian, I kind of look at the HEMS model and I go, well, why mm. do you need doctors? Mm. You, you know, riding in there, mm -hmm. you got a doctor sitting in the helicopter for the ride out doing nothing. Like, it just mm. doesn't seem like an optimal use of resources mm -hmm. to me. And from my background, paramedics can do it perfectly well. We've been doing it for decades. And in, the, in New Zealand, we did have a few times where um, you would go and grab the medical director, mm -hmm. and take him with you. So I'm just thinking Neil Wallace was a medical right. director at the time because yeah. he was a he was a quasi-paramedic at heart anyway. Yeah, you know, a lot of medical yeah, directors yeah. are. <laughs> yeah. Bless them. Yeah, I know. And he was just he just was into it, you know, and yeah. he would quite often, we would go and pick him up, grab him, and take him on some of the more, you know, ones where right. you knew that they were quite sinister and quite nasty. Right. And he would, you know, bring his skills with it. But he would bring his own kit as well and some other, you know, right. specialist drugs and things like that. So mm -hmm. well, we were allowed to run, standard. Yeah. We were allowed to run any drug. Yeah. If we got to a hospital and we did, I remember first time I saw Milrinone, it was a patient on it and I didn't mm -hmm. know what it was. So we just looked it up in the CPS and found out what it was. It's like, okay. And then we went with it. I just wow. spoke to the medical director and said, are you okay with us running on? And I said, yeah, yeah, it's no problem. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that was a steep learning curve. I was about to say, that would be, be like, Ooh. That was a steep learning curve. And we were, you know, reading x-rays and looking at MRIs yeah. and, you know, mostly just head and neck and stuff, not really detailed thoracic. Yeah. But, and in our downtime, we would often be in the eMERGE at Sunnybrook working with the doctors and yeah. go see patients. It wasn't a formal part of our role, but instead mm. of sitting in the station, we could, we were welcome to go and do that. Mm. And at first, the nurses were kind of like, what are you doing here? Mm. But then we'd say, hey, do you want me to draw the bloods or whatever? And mm. we're like, sure. And the doctors got a chance to work with us and quiz us a lot. You know? yeah. And that was a lot of learning. You know, being like an in-hospital genetic mm. was wow, mm -hmm. really amazing. I can see similarities between that and the um, par paramedic system in the UK, where they have the paramedic yeah. practitioner. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know... All across the world, we're realizing we need a mid-level provider, whether it's nurse practitioner, yeah. paramedic practitioner, That's right. nurse anesthetist. You know, there's <laughs> a lot of that mm. uh, sort of stuff happening. And I, I really think that's a lot of the future of what we're doing, you know. And what's interesting is that it's the same everywhere you go. So yes. no matter who I've, I've worked with, and I work with, you know, probably five different countries at work, my current work. Yeah, yeah. And the jobs, the people, it's they're exactly all the same. Exactly. Same trial and errors, same <laughs> yeah. mistakes, yeah. same difficult patients, no matter yeah. where you go. Dispatch management. All. Yes. I'll tell you a story. Uh, after I worked in Toronto, I did that for five years, and then I got a job in the Middle East. Um, teaching for the College of the North Atlantic. So it was a Canadian uh, college teaching um, uh, Arabs to be paramedics, mm -hmm. which is really interesting. Again, like totally different change of context, you know. Mm -hmm. So I did that for oh, six or seven years. Um, came down to South Australia. I got a job working at Flinders University as a lecturer. That's how I came to Australia. Worked there for, I think, two years and then got recruited to South Australian Ambulance Service. 
and I was working as a um, the general manager of clinical governance. Mm-hmm. Worked there for a little bit, and then there was a whole rung of like 13 general managers, and they just eliminated that rung as mm-hmm. a cost-saving thing. So middle we were management. laid off. Yeah, just cut out that layer of middle management. And so I went back to the Middle East for a little while, and this is where that story comes from. I was working in the UAE, and that's where I met Alan Back. Oh, yeah. Because we were both working for National Ambulance. Well, no, working for a company here that contracted us to National Ambulance for like three or four months. Yeah. And we were doing training stuff, and Alan got really embedded there. And Alan is now the um, editor of the Irish Journal of Paramedicine. Mm-hmm. He's in. He's back in Canada. And uh, I remember, this sounds like the beginning of a joke, but uh, Alan's Irish, so uh, Canadian paramedic, <laughs> an Irish paramedic, an American paramedic, an Australian paramedic, and uh, we had one of the local Arabic guys all went into a bar one night. <laughs> and we sat and we talked about the job. And, yeah. Or the UK paramedic. Uh-huh. Um, oh, I forget her name, from CSU. Uh-huh. Um, oh, what's her name? Sam Sheridan. Sam, yeah. Maybe she was Sam Bond then. Probably. Yeah, that's right, Samantha Bond. That's right. Yeah. So she worked there too, and that's where I met her. Yeah. And so she was our UK parent. So we all went to a bar, and we are sitting and talking. <laughs> and it was all, you know, dispatchers are evil, and managers <laughs> are evil, and patients complain about nothing, and we never see a sick patient, but when we do, they're, like, really sick. And nobody appreciates the work that we do, <laughs> and we're underpaid. And it's just, it was exact. you know, we'd all had international experience, yeah. all coming from different countries. Mm. And a paramedic is a paramedic. Yeah. You know, they absolutely are. It just, mm. it's the same job. Ambulance management everywhere doesn't seem to be very good at all. Nope. Even when I was one, it was like, mm-hmm. yeah, I recognize, you know, we could be doing a better job than this. Mm. But there's just so much to it. Yeah. You know? I agree. So, but yeah, you're right. It's all, it's all <laughs> the same. So where it's am I? It's kind of nice in a way, though. Well, it is, mm. you know? And, uh... Like you sit in the back of a van and you go to somebody's house and they got COPD and mm. they got cats and they smoke and there's the oxygen mm-hmm. tank and it's all, yeah. you know, it's all the same everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's the same basic drugs. You can call them adrenaline or epinephrine. It's, mm-hmm. It does the same stuff. Yeah. You know, you give it the same way. Mm. So I did that. And then, uh, so I was in the Middle East there with National Ambulance and then got a job teaching for Australian Catholic University. Uh, went to Ballarat, very mm-hmm. small Australian town. And was there for one semester. And then up here in Brisbane, the senior lecturer position came up. Mm-hmm. And I applied for it and got it. And I've been here for three or four, maybe more. A few years. Mm-hmm. A few years now. And uh, I started as the course coordinator. And now we've got Scott up here. Scott has come in. And Scott Stewart, who I, I think you know from Victoria, right? Small no. world, isn't it? I, I think we've yeah, not physically met. So, right. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, he came up and now he's the course coordinator because I was the course coordinator and the clinical coordinator, which was a bit too much. Mm. So Scott's the course coordinator now. I'm the clinical coordinator. And uh, here I am. Yes. Here I am. So tell me about your educational background because we didn't talk about that. The educational, as in like CSU or is No, it, as in your oh, degrees. Degrees, your, right. Okay. So, yeah, this is interesting. We've. We've had a lot of similarities yeah, there, haven't yeah, yeah. we? And we've even on the same pathway here now. Well, you know, an Australian paramedic and a Canadian paramedic go in yep. yeah. Going to a bar. <laughs> That's I right. know. So with the ACT ambulance when I started, we were trained with an advanced diploma. Okay. That was our original qualification. Mine was a certificate. 
Was it? Yeah. Yeah, you've been around, about, what, what, 10 years maybe longer than I have? Yeah, 89. So yeah. My education. Yeah. So yeah. We, we had an advanced diploma, which I then, um, as soon as I finished my actual ICP training, I applied to CSU. Right. And did right. a conversion degree. So Because right. it was the only place at the time that was, uh, it was the first place in, I think it was the world, to offer the degree. Oh, right. And that, and so when I started, they That's were running. That's how we've come. I know. Yeah. So we started running the um, conversion degree, and then then it turned into a full degree. Right. Um, but anyway, I jumped in and started doing the conversion degree. It took me years to finish. I was the ter- I was a terrible it's been about student. Years. I was a terrible, terrible student. Yeah. And I moved countries, and you know, changed boyfriends and stuff along the way. Yeah, I yeah. did. I had a life. And so yeah, so I eventually finished that, and then I jumped as I do. I jumped straight into something else again. Right. Um, I actually I did the uh, started the masters with Flinders. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I've done a couple. Masters other. in what? So your your undergrad would have been the bachelor's of health sciences and pre hospital care. No, mine was a no? clinical practice. I think I was the first group we oh, changed okay. the name on. So before that, it had been Bachelor of Health Science, and then it changed to Bachelor of Clinical Practice. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. By the time I finished, anyway, remember? Yeah. Okay. Remember, I dragged it out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway, I um I did a couple of little sort of um, certificates and stuff. Of course, as you do with the ambulance mm-hmm. service, things in management and you know like little stuff along the way. Yeah. And then I um enrolled into Flinders Uni into the Masters of Pre-Hospital Care. They had a Masters of Pre-Hospital Care because that yeah because oh, okay. it, I liked the name. Yeah, and yeah, I thought sure. it sounded really flash. It's like my PhD. That's right. Yeah, yeah. PhD yeah. in medicine. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so I enrolled in that, and then um got about halfway through, and. My project was bigger than Ben Hur, and after the third time I was asked, I changed it into a PhD. Oh, okay. So that's how I kind of I ended up, you know, most of the way through the masters, and then swapped into a PhD when I realised that I had enough in there that I was kind of yeah, sure. What was I doing? I was and starting what to time, right? I was I was starting to no. question what I was doing at the end, and then by the time I had um. I ended up with a really good supervisor who was the one who ended up convincing me to right. jump shot in the end, yeah. Because when we sure. met, you were doing a master's. That's right. And you said, no, now it's a PhD. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And you? So, uh, yeah, for me, I did the same, um, although it was called something different than the Charles Sturt University. I remember sitting in Toronto looking at Charles Sturt University in Wagga Wagga, Australia. Wagga Wagga? Is it Wagga Wagga? No, it's Wagga Wagga. It's Wagga Wagga. Wagga Wagga, and just thinking, I, I could never even imagine that place. You know, no. Now here I am living in Australia, small world. Yeah. But I did the Bachelor's of Health Science in Pre-Hospital Care. They had brought it to um, Canada. Yeah, that's right. So we had a, a campus there. Yeah, yeah. we did. Uh, Michener. Mm-hmm. I talked for the Michener Institute in Toronto. Mm. That's right. Later I talked for them. Um, so, yeah, I did that. And then... Uh, you must have been one of the few that were doing it, though, back then. Oh, yeah, okay? very few. Yeah. Yeah. To have a degree in paramedicine in Canada is still pretty rare. Yeah. We're, we're going to an all-degree uh, program in the 2020s at some mm-hmm. point, um, which is great, because it should be. I mean, mm. it's, there's enough there, you know. Mm. But I, I'll tell you the truth. When I look at the training in Canada right now... It's two years to become, mm. it's not one year anymore, it's two years to become primary care paramedic. Yeah. Then about another year to become advanced care paramedic. And the two years that we do, if you look at the content of those two years, it's the same that we do here. Mm. It's just that here there's more research and there's some sociology and, yeah. you know, other health professions type stuff. 
But in mm. terms of the clinical training, it's the same. Yeah. So yeah. why not add on that, you know, extra stuff mm-hmm. around the outside, around the core, important stuff, especially mm. research, mm-hmm. and make it a degree. Mm-hmm. It just makes a lot of sense. They're going to make it into a four-year degree, though, too, aren't they, in Canada? I think they are. And yeah. you're going to get out as an advanced care paramedic. Yeah. So there won't be primary care paramedics. But following really a very anymore. similar way to what we did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah four years. Mm. You know, and then you can use that as a lot of our students do now to get into medical school later yeah, if you want. Exactly. You know, which is a much better pathway. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I was that was my undergraduate degree, the bachelor's of health sciences in pre hospital care. Uh, mm. um, and then when I was working in Toronto, the reason I left Toronto was because of the SARS crisis. I got quarantined and I got quarantined at the same time that I was really, really, really sick. So they figured I had SARS, and everybody oh. at that point had had SARS and had died. Oh. So I had basically been told, you're going to die. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. And I made out my will, and um, it was a terrible time. And I eventually, um, I had atypical pneumonia, not SARS, fortunately. Wow. So I didn't die, spoiler, mm. but it was a horrific experience. <laughs> and I ended up getting PTSD, and I was off for about a year. And then I just wasn't ready to go back. And again, doing um, retrievalist practitioner critical care back then, um, you, you only saw the sickest of the sick. Yeah. You know, we were taking the, the perimorbid patients. That's yeah. all we were. It was just, yeah. it got too much. Mm-hmm. And I had uh, PTSD. It was off for a year. And then this job came up teaching in the Middle East. And I thought, I always wanted to get into teaching anyways. Yeah. And I thought, let's do that. So, um Went to the Middle East and got my master's degree in counseling psychology. Yeah. And I started doing some counseling with uh, emergency services personnel with post-traumatic stress and acute stress disorder, which was really interesting. Yeah. And when I came down to Australia, I was thinking of doing my PhD in psych, mm-hmm. but they didn't recognize my degree from Canada. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, change paths. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so I finished that master's and then I got interested while I was living down in Adelaide. Uh, with the Joanna Briggs Institute, uh, the University of Adelaide, and they're, you know, they're all evidence translation, which mm-hmm. is what I got really interested in. And their PhD is technically a PhD in medicine, mm-hmm. which I just wanted on my resume. Yeah, sounds cool. So yeah, that's really neat. Well, you tell people <laughs> that, you know, I'm working on my PhD in medicine, you just keep a straight face and you can just see them kind of go, whoa, like, <laughs> you must be really smart. It's like, no, they'll let anybody in. <laughs> No, not anybody. Sorry. Sorry, Craig. It's my supervisor. We shouldn't say that. Um, But if you've been working in healthcare for two years, you can start into a master's in clinical science and then flip up into a PhD. Yeah, it's a great way of going. For a lot of people, they start off into a master's or mm -hmm, mm -hmm. MPhil. It's a great way to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually think the best progression for a paramedic now is to do your undergraduate degree in paramedicine, do your master's in intensive care, critical care. Mm. And then do a conversion master's to PhD. Mm. But myself and Delio, uh, um, the person I started the PhD with, who does it in nutritional science, which is why if you look on Medline, you'll see that I'm a co-author on a paper on nutritional science for women with stress. I saw that. Yeah. That's yeah. because I work with Delia. It's her work. Yeah. You know, it's her work. <laughs> yeah. I just tagged along. She's even come. Okay, thanks. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's one of my papers. But... That's the PhD I'm working on, and my focus, as you know, is on um, clinical practice guidelines and yeah. paramedics. And 
the idea that I want to do in my PhD is basically what's the best way that we should be doing CPGs? Mm-hmm. How, how should we approach that? Mm. And um, that's how we got in touch. It is. You want to tell a story? Yes. Yeah. So um, I can't remember exactly how I found you, mm-hmm. but I just rang you out of the blue and said, yeah. hey, guess what? <laughs> you, you've got the same topic as me. I might have been looking for information sources for people. I was, at, the, at the time I had been um, – I had been digging around trying to find some background for uh, my first chapter, which is on the background and literature, sort of historical sense of guidelines in Australia, right? Right, right. right. And I had been... I'd like to read that. Yeah. I'd like to copy and paste that. (laughs) (laughs) You can get some ideas. Okay. Learn from the master. Yeah, well. (laughs) I I ended up tracking you down through, I think, one of the contacts that I had made through um, Queensland, and I rang you and said, hey... We're doing the same thing, but at the time I was doing the masters, right? And uh, yeah, it was great. We had a lot of background similarities. We even share cardiology passions, yeah, yeah, and everything. We're so nerdy together. Don't you play guitar too? I do. Yeah, so it's like yeah, yeah, weird. Sister from another mister. I know. Yeah, yeah, from another mother. (laughs) (laughs) So that's how we got interested eventually in doing this. Now I've had paramedicine.com as a URL mm. since 96. Mm. You would never get that again, they say. No, you? and you know what? I wish, I wish, I wish I'd been smart enough to get paramedicine.edu because oh. anybody could have done it back then. Oh. The internet would have allowed yeah. it. You know? uh-huh. I don't even know if EDU existed back then, but when it first came in, I thought, yeah. anyway, paramedicine.com was great. And it was a pretty active site for a while. Um, uh, one time it was the largest uh, non-profit paramedic website in the world. So it was wow. fun. And we had a great paramedicine.com list, like a Yahoo lists yeah. back in the nineties and spoke a lot with American paramedics. It was a really cool community, but then I got married and I had kids and then yeah. you know, all that sort of stuff sort of happened. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's been dormant for about 10 years, mm-hmm. but hopefully now at the time where people are listening to this, the site will have been renewed. We got this amazing new webmaster. My son. Yes. Yes. Uh, Shout out to Reese Buick. Dude. Webmaster extraordinaire. Yeah. So uh-huh. we're building that up and we're going to be working on a project together. We are. Which is what this is basically all about. So you want to talk about the project? So it started really because we both share a passion for creating um, evidence-based practice and translating that um, into something usable for paramedics on the road. Translating research into practice. Exactly. That's how it all started, Trip. So we wanted to, with my work that I'm doing, my my PhD is really similar to Mark's in the sense that I'm investigating how paramedics use decision-making and... How they think about CPG. That's right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So mine's more about the the reasoning skills behind using a CPG or not. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then looking at the way that they... Or a bit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just going to, you know, bit of this one, bit of that one. Or maybe not at all. I'll just yeah. make it up later. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. So uh, um, I've spoken to a lot of um, paramedics and interviewed them and then also looked at the way that the, the actual guidelines themselves are formulated, how they're put together and the way that they're diagrammed. Mm-hmm. And, um, the structure. That's right, yeah, yeah. The use of algorithms and words and t- terminology and stuff like that. So that's my my PhD is in that area. So. I'm interested in, in, like you, in in making guidelines that are better for paramedics 
So the language, the design, the style, the the fact of whether they'll end up using them or not anyway. Yeah. You know, and yeah. that's my passion. And I would love to see us have guidelines that are actually current, evidence-based, kept up to date, national. Yeah, yeah. You know. And that's the big thing is that with this onset of national registration, now we're recording this in August of 2018, and in September we're going to start the registration of paramedics. Yes. Uh, so we'll be licensed, regulated health professionals here in Australia. First time in my life. Yeah. Because we, we aren't regulated in Ontario. Amazing, isn't there it? are other provinces in Canada that are, and Ireland is in the UK. You know, there's lots. It's happening that way, but not here mm. until next month. So we took a look at that and realized the time is right for a national set of clinical practice guidelines. Because uh, in ACU, we teach in multiple states. We've got campuses in different states. Um, I remember at Flinders, we taught into Victoria. Yeah. You guys teach in yeah. different states as well, right? All over the place. Yeah. So having a coherent set of guidelines that not only would be useful for teaching, but also if you're a paramedic and you want to go work in an emergency department and they say, mm. what do you do? Really the clearest, most concise summary of our scope and our standards of practice mm. are the CPGs. Mm -hmm. If you want to know, you know, what do you do? Here are my CPGs. Yeah, that's fine. This is what I do. Yeah. I can intubate. How do you know? It says it in the CPGs. Mm -hmm. So we figured it would be really good to have that national sort of mm -hmm. things for education and for representing ourselves to people outside of the profession. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we took on this project. We did. And how brilliant it would be that if we all used the same set of guidelines that moving from one state to another, yeah. you know, we wouldn't have the same problems that I had and that you've had as we've moved around that, you know, that you know that adrenaline is adrenaline and use the same in every state, right. you know, and that the way that it, the evidence base behind it supports it because of, well, maybe not adrenaline. <laughs> well, not. not in cardiac arrest. Probably not arrest. But, you know, for example, the use of ondansetron, you know, when it came yeah. into practice, it started to become used everywhere. But, you know, some places are still lagging behind, yeah. you know, but, we know that the evidence is there. It's undisputable about yeah. the fact that it is a great drug. Yes, it's, it deserves its pride and place as a, as a great, you know, drug there for any emetic. So I think that there's some stuff which is going to be really interesting for us going forward to look at. Yeah. yeah and some yeah. it's just very much commonsensical that it is. it deserves its place. So Well, I think it's interesting that <clears throat> in some states in Australia, the entry-level paramedics, graduate degree paramedics, can start IVs on kids. Mm -hmm. And in other states, they can't. Correct. And now James Pierce is doing his, mm -hmm. you know James from yeah. Flinders, right? Um, he's another paramedic friend of mine. And we were going to do a paper once on how much does a kid weigh? Mm. Because if you look at all the different CPGs from the different states, we're just going to take a picture of one of my kids and use the different formulas yeah. and say, you know, you cross the road to the other state. Oh, yeah. And now this kid is three kilograms different. Mm -hmm. And look, you've only got to go to New Zealand and... Um, you know, because of the uh, indigenous population, their yeah. kids are a good five, ten kilos heavier. Yeah, that's right. Because it's a different somatotype. Yeah. They're, yeah. Yeah. That's right. The Aboriginals and Torres Strait Islanders. Oh, right? yeah. 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 Very different groups. Yeah. So that's the project that we're getting into. And we're going to be writing these national CPGs. We published this month, August 2018, in the Australasian Journal of Paramedicine, Yay. a paper that we've been working on for two years. Wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was two years where we looked at all of the CPGs and just kind of smushed them together hmm. and said, if you did have a standard set of CPGs, 
what would be the index? That's it. We had to have a starting point. So for us, what we wanted was to try and find what would be the what would be the names of all of these guidelines. Yeah. yeah. So we looked at everybody's guidelines and put them all together for all of the practice levels. At the beginning, we only were looking at the paramedic level, and then That's we right. went not the ICP, CCP, the ICPs, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the end, we just went. Uh, it has to be everything, and that's why I think it ended up taking so long. Yeah, and when, once we get registered, there isn't going to be different registrations for the different levels. No. And you're going to be able to look at the CPG as a practicing paramedic and, let's say, go to the emergency department and say, you know, I'm trained, these are my CPGs, but I don't do these particular ones. Yes, that's right. But the thing is, if you go and do a training program, then you can say, now I can. Mm-hmm. I've done a surgical airway course, mm-hmm. and now I'm comfortable under my own license mm-hmm. representing myself as somebody who can do that. Yeah. And then whether your employer lets you or not, it's mm-hmm. different. But if the employer is saying, well, just get trained on it, get good with it, then you can. Yeah. Because under your license, it's up to you to determine what your scope of practice is. Very interesting. Is. Yeah. We're gonna very interesting how that's going to happen, that, that, um, that jump. Yeah. Yeah, I think the ambulance service providers will still have their own scope of practice yeah, unto so themselves that they're comfortable with. Yeah. And that's also relevant to probably their areas. So for remote and rural, they'll probably may have um, an extra couple of different things. Sure, extended transport guidelines. Yeah, yeah that's right. That yeah, so some of that stuff will end up being, you know, different for every service still. But we're hoping that we'll end up with something that is, you know, a standardized sort of set. Yeah. The basic common denominator. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And if someone learns that, then they can basically go to any state and mm. be comfortable roughly with the scope of practice exactly. or any other country. Yeah. But also it's useful yeah. for mine medics, industrial, oil rigs, anything that you can think of. It is a clear scope of practice or guidelines for them right. in their industry as well. Right. And we're going to be releasing them uh, free, Creative Commons, anyone yep. to use. Uh, you can't publish them into a textbook and charge for it because we wrote them. <laughs> but we'll share them openly on Paramedicine.com. Correct. They're going to be peer-reviewed. That's right. We will use um, expert groups where we can. So, for instance, like uh, asthma, you know, we won't be reinventing the wheel there. There's already really good information out there with yeah. diabetes, asthma, all really well-known um, disease disorders and, and uh, medications that are used. So we'll be consulting with those groups. Right. Right. specialist groups and getting their guidance when it comes to integrating that into our care. Yeah. Yeah. And first iteration and second iteration are going to be different. They are. So what yeah. we're looking at is with the first iteration of the, of the, we're kind of calling them the Australasian paramedic CPGs right now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So <clears throat> first iteration is just going to be a smushing together of the existing CPGs. That's fine. We want to get that done. We figure it's a relatively shorter project. He says optimistically a few years. Um, but once we've got that done, then when we start into the next iteration, we want to go a lot more into the research phase. Mm-hmm. So exactly. We'll build those off of systematic reviews and hopefully we can get a bit of a community going. People are other geeks That's who right. are interested in this as well with us. Mm, and when we have a lot of like hit critical mass and we're doing a lot of this research, then we can start to get our students and other people to be doing systematic reviews and great methodologies of the paper. Mm-hmm. And use the first iteration as the starting point. It is, yeah. And then get it into this is like a the rest of our career project. It is, yeah. yeah. We're happy about that. Yeah, I am. I'm excited. I think it's gonna make a big difference. I think the first iteration is even going to be kind of fun because 
it'll be interesting to see what everyone shares yeah. and and what their reasoning is behind it if we can find out if some there of that is. stuff. Yeah. It, it may not be. Yeah. So I think that some of that's going to be really interesting to see culturally the differences between states. So that first iteration is just saying, okay, what does everybody do? Let's put it together and let's have a look at that. So that's what that is. Whether it's right or wrong doesn't really matter. What we're just looking at is just grabbing it all and pushing into one, you know, one kind of protocol guideline. Yeah. Because New South Wales is included. Yeah. Protocol guidelines. Oh, okay, right. That's exactly. <laughs> it's funny that we called them guidelines, really, because in a way, um, there is a rigidity to them, which mm-hmm. most guidelines, classically when we're talking about guidelines, mm-hmm. don't really have. That's right. right. So uh, if a guideline is something that you can choose to follow or not, it's just giving you guidance. Mm-hmm. But if you have to follow that guideline, and if you have to file a variation report, if you don't follow the guideline exactly, it's kind of more of a protocol. It's kind of more of a protocol, isn't they it? Yeah, that's right. So They're in medical, I mean, most state. paramedics would be insulted. I if know. We said, oh you god, know. yeah, and we were we were so proud. I remember. I think it was yeah. ACT. Was Howard Wren was groundbreaking at the time. You mm-hmm. know, bring in these guidelines, you guys. You know, you can just pick and choose what you want to do, and it was all great because we were all ICPs. Right, you know, right, so. Yeah. We all had the same level of training. Pretty much 90% of us had the same background in education. Yeah. We're on this nice little group, similar, all similar levels, and he kind of trusted us to do right. that. You the know? Smaller groups you can do We that. did. Yeah. And then when things changed, when we got in the, the next level down and we yeah. started bringing on all these differently trained, they basically, he said to me, Sonia, we had all these great ideas of guidelines, but really they're protocols. Because yeah. now, I, you know, with all the differences of people and backgrounds. The bell curve. That's it. They're yeah. expected to follow them. When we started the critical care paramedic program in, in uh, Toronto, the retrievals practitioner thing, we started with 30 and we quickly went down to about 20 something. And I think they're down to around 12 now. They just haven't bought more. Yet. So it was a small group and we had a day every month of training in the hospital and it was just, you know, we got a lot of attention and a lot of focus yeah. because of our scope of practice. And I remember when they finally, at first we didn't have guidelines at all. Mm. And we finally had them in our first meeting. Our medical director stood in front of us and said, okay, here are the guidelines. Uh, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I haven't read them yet. I'm sure they're fine. <laughs> but I don't really care because yeah. you guys are practicing medicine now. Mm. And if you do it right, I will defend you to my death. If you do it wrong, you won't ever get to a court because I'll kick you out first. Mm. it's like that's it you're doing it now you know mm. it's like <laughs> having come up because in in canada the legal legislation for us doing medical stuff is because we're working under a doctor's license mm-hmm. we are a proxy of the doctor yeah which is why we have this interesting thing of how can a an icu doc give their patient to some paramedics yeah it's abandonment yeah, yeah, yeah. Legally. Yeah. And the retort legally from our lawyer, from Toronto Emma's lawyer, was, no, no, they're working under the delegation yeah. of a physician. That's where we get our authority to practice from. It's similar. So they're under places. doctor's care. Yeah, so we had the same thing in New Zealand. I'm, I'm actually a little bit unfamiliar with some of the states here about how, because some of them are slightly different to each other in mm-hmm. the way that they're run. But I think um, the New Zealand system was very similar to Canada in that sense. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We were authorized under their scope. Yeah. yeah. I used to describe it to people as it's kind of like 
running a taxi service, but only one person has a driver's license. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're all working under that person's driver's license. That's a really good analogy. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So that's the project. That's what we want to do. It is. And this is our first show. We intend to do these as much as we can. And we're lucky because you don't live here. You just happen to be here. So for the first one, we get to do it together, um, which won't commonly be happening. We'll be Skyping. Mm. And then as we write each of the CPGs, we're going to be doing a podcast vidcast mm -hmm. and putting it up on Paramention.com, putting it on YouTube mm -hmm. so that people can come and listen and hopefully oriented sort of to students, maybe more novice paramedics, but something for experienced paramedics to listen to, to be able to review the material. And, yeah. You know, that's right. A bit more interesting than just reading your CPG. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. If we do our job. I think so. <laughs> we'll have guest speakers and some people along the way that will yeah. come in and give us a bit of additional know-how. Yeah. A bit more background. It should be mm. interesting to to see how it unfolds. Because right now we have some sort of rough ideas of, you know, broadly that direction. But I think over time we'll sort of get our groove and get yeah. an idea of what we're doing. I'm kind of excited about it. Me too. Yeah, I think Me too. it's going to be pretty good. It's always been exciting. Yeah. And now it's finally happening. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> We've been talking about this for years. Yeah. So, um, maybe we'll close off on that. Yeah. And we have our... This is our first introduction of our goodbye tagline. Yeah, so keep on studying. Keep on caring. And keep safe out there.